May. So <laughs> it's been a long time, but I'm really happy that I finally get to do it. Um, I'm just going to jump right in and I want to start off by telling you about someone I know, uh, telling you about this friendship that I have. So this friend that I have, he cares for me like nobody else. We do all the basic friend stuff, like we have common hobbies and we like hanging out with each other. Um, but he also does all of these other things for me. For example, he texts me to check in on me every day. Once a week, he calls me to catch up um, and pray for me. He always remembers the really important details about my life and he's always um, keeping in touch when those things come around. Um, even during the pandemic, he's found ways to care for me. He brings me dinner often. Um, he asks me how he can support me, um, especially through seminary and work. He knows the things of my heart. He knows my greatest burdens, my darkest sins. He listens to me when I'm hurting. He preaches the gospel to me. And I know that if I ever need anything, he's just a phone call away. He stays up late with me studying to keep me awake and accountable. He talks with me for hours when I'm burdened by various circumstances of life or my own sin. And when I am, he always gives me gentle words of encouragement and rebuke when I need it. And his wisdom is biblical and kind. So I know that's a lot of things that this person does for me, but what might compel someone to make this kind of, of constant sacrifice for me? What might compel someone to love me in all of these different kinds of ways, to show this kind of intentional care? That's the, the answer that we're looking for tonight as we, as we go to scripture. Um, in our journey through 1 Corinthians, we have finally arrived at this last section of, of our description of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And in this section that we turn to today, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, he gives us four things that love does, four actions, four applications. And my hope and my prayer for tonight is that God would challenge us and our selfishness with these words, that we would see the beauty of love applied and that we would learn how to care for others in really selfless ways. And to do that, we are going to look at these four actions and we're gonna figure out what they mean and then try and apply them to our lives. So let's go to scripture and see what it has to say. Our passage is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. Um, before we read it, um, let, let me pray for us. Father, we come before your word with expectation and excitement. Um, we need to be fed by what you have written to us, and I pray that you would do that mightily tonight, that you would speak powerfully through your word to conform us into your image, to show us um, our selfishness and to, um, to, to combat it. I pray that you would help us to, to, be, um, to be bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, and enduring all things um, in love for other people. And I pray that you would give us clear application how, for how we can apply this passage to our lives. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Okay, let's read our passage. Um, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31b, and then we're going to go all the way through our verse. So let's start um, back in chapter 12. Okay. Paul writes, And I will show you a still more excellent way. Chapter 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. 
Great. So before we talk about verse seven, um, let's do some review since it's been a few weeks since we last heard a message um, on First Corinthians. So in chapter 13, as we read, Paul is describing his more excellent way. And this more excellent way is what Paul sees as the true Christian life. To sum it all up, the ultimate marker, the proof of the Christian is love. Christians will be marked by their love. Remember that Paul so far has talked a lot about spiritual gifts and these spiritual gifts God had given them um, to build up the church. They were really good things like speaking in tongues and prophecy, faith, knowledge and generosity and courage. Um, but the way that they were functioning within the church wasn't what the Lord had intended. They were given to build up, to serve others, but instead these things had been used to show off knowledge and spirituality. The, first, the, Corinthian, the Corinthian church had used them um, to build up their pride. Um, they had used them in, in selfishness. And throughout chapters one through 12, we saw how the church had taken these good things and caused division in the church instead of building up. Um, and so when we get to the later parts of, of, of the book, um, Paul is calling the Corinthian church to see the, seek the good of others rather than their own benefit. And that selfless love would serve as the true proof of their salvation. So everything must be undergirded by love. And that's what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 13. So starting in verse 4, um, verse 4 through our verse today, we get this string of 15 verbs that love does. 15 different applications of love. And when we started this section, Pastor Eric showed us that a people centered on Jesus the Messiah are a people who love patiently and kindly, a people who love humbly by refusing to compare and refusing to be envious by refusing to look down on others. He also showed us that love is not rude and a people centered on Jesus are a people who lovingly respect others. Then, a few weeks ago, Peter showed us that a people centered on the Messiah do not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth. And then we get to our verse, verse seven, which says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So we have these four verbs, bears, believes, hopes, and endures. But when it's presented in this list with all things, it's kind of hard to wrap our head around what it means. So um, we're, we're gonna change the wording for clarity's sake. So we can translate these four from the Greek into negations. So we'll say love never stops bearing with others. Love never stops believing in God. Love never stops hoping in God. And love never stops enduring with others. Love never stops. So notice the symmetry in our list here. The outside two, bears and endures go together and the middle two believes and hopes go together so the way that we're going to categorize them is like this the outside two have to do with how we relate to other people and the inside two have to do with how we relate to god so those are what goes in those um, blanks in your outline bearing with others and enduring with others have to do with how we relate to others and believing and hoping have to do with how we relate to god and here's our main idea. A people centered on Jesus and Messiah have faith and hope in God and commitment and endurance with others. A people centered on Jesus and Messiah have faith and hope in God and commitment and endurance with others. Okay, let's talk about our first point. A people centered on Jesus and Messiah have faith and hope in God. First, we need to talk about um, what it means to believe all things and hope all things. So first, believes all things. What does it mean and what does it not mean? Um, what are the things that pop into your mind when you think, when you hear that love believes all things? We probably think of all kinds of crazy stuff. And so we should address what Paul isn't saying first. Paul is not saying that you can believe whatever you want to believe, that all truth is God's truth, that all paths lead to heaven, that truth is relative. 
Um, these are all very popular things to believe in our day and age. He's also not saying that we always believe the things that other people say to us. Paul is not calling us um, to be naive or to be foolish. If he's not saying those things, then what is he saying? What does believe all things mean? Well, recall how we rephrased it earlier. We said that love, ne love never stops believing in God. We could also say that love never stops having faith. The original Greek can be translated both ways, believes all things or never stops believing. And so if we have that translation, we would ask, believe in what? Like have faith in what? Surely that cannot mean always have faith or always believes in other people. People are sinful. People are fallen. We make mistakes. We are fallible. If there's one consistent message from the Old Testament, it's that we cannot put our trust in man. Man is fallen, man is rebellious, man will, will fail. So if Paul isn't talking about man, then there's only one thing or one person, I should say, that we can put our faith in always, and that's God. The kind of faith that Paul is talking about here is faith in God. It's believing in his sovereignty. It's trusting in his goodness. It's rejoicing in the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. It's accepting and savoring the forgiveness and righteousness we received in being justified by him. Believes all things means never lacking or never lacking faith in the God of the Bible. So believes all things here is also tied really closely to the next um, one. The, uh, the next action that we have, which is hopes. And we translated this one as love never stops having hope. But what does it mean to have hope? Again, let's talk about what it means and what it doesn't mean. When Paul talks about hope, he's not talking about wishful thinking, like in the way that we might use the word hope, like I hope to um, have a good day tomorrow, or I hope to get ice cream later, whatever. Um, it's not wishful thinking but it's trust. And it's not just trust in God for today, but it's also trust in God for the future. It's as one author puts it, the confidence that God will protect the Christian now as they await God's future blessings. And we see that in places like 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 8, even Colossians, all Paul's writings. It's a trust that God will be true to his word in promising us eternal life in Christ Jesus and a trust that we'll get to see him in heaven. It's also a trust that God is sovereign and that because he is sovereign, he's going to take care of us as he's promised according to his word. And so it's really important for us to remember as we look at the other verbs that we have that believing all things and hoping all things is not a naive trust and optimism. And it, it doesn't mean things like always believing the best about people, even though we should. Um, it's not uh, uh, it, the, the belief and the hope that um, Paul is talking about here is specifically tied intimately to your understanding of God. And then that understanding of God affects the way that you treat other people. These two, faith and hope, are two of the three treasures that, of life that Paul later in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, 13 says endures for eternity. Faith hope and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. And what Paul means by abide means that it's going to last forever. We have them now and they're going to last. So if they abide forever, that means that they're important, right? So we start here, seeing the importance of hope, or belief of faith, hope, and love. Um, and we start here with love, with love, believing, and hoping all things because it is the starting point for us as Christians who are originally sinners, originally dead in our trespasses, but now made alive. And now this is the starting point for, where, for how we move toward other people. Remember in our outline, bears all things and endures all things. They hang off of, believes all things, and hopes all things. The root of faith and hope in God that never end in, into eternity, 
result in the ability to bear and endure all things in love for our brothers and our sisters. To put it simply, out of the root of faith and hope come the fruit of commitment and endurance. And this is because if we, have ne if we never stop having faith and hope in God, then that faith and that hope affect all of our life, from school to family to relationships to sports and video games and friends. Everything is affected by our faith in God and the hope that we have for eternal life. So with that in mind, let's talk about the other two, bearing all things and enduring all things. This is point number two, a people centered on Jesus and Messiah have commitment and endurance with others. Okay, commitment and endurance, bearing all things and enduring all things. First, in the same way that we talked about um, believing and hoping, let's talk about what these are. Um, the Bible presents these two as essentially synonymous words, but for our purposes, we're going to differentiate them. Um, enduring all things, uh, or sorry, bearing all things is coming alongside people, bearing their burdens with them, while enduring all things is commitment to people. It's enduring challenges and um, hurt maybe by them or on behalf of them. So while this idea of bearing all things and enduring all things might, might really um, naturally make sense to us, like sticking with a friend, standing up for a friend, um, to be really clear, we're going to look at Paul's example of, of um, bearing all things and enduring all things. So our first example comes from 1 Corinthians 9, and you can turn there with me if you like. Um, so in this chapter, in the second half, Paul writes that he, makes him, he made himself all things to men, so that he could, by all means, save some. Though he was free, Paul had made himself a slave to all for the sake of their salvation. Verse 20, he says, To the Jews I became a Jew, as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21, To those outside the law I became as one outside the law not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. He became like all men, so that by all means, he might save some. That sounds really similar to bearing all things, enduring all things, right? This is the heart that Paul is bringing into his point um, in, in verse 7, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. When Christians live out their Christ-likeness and in, in love toward others, they don this complete selflessness and holy commitment to others. They die to self. It's a love that gives up personal freedoms and rights for the sake of others. It's a love that sacrifices personal gain for the good of others. If we try and, and compare ourselves to this example, what do you see? When you can bear staying, up, staying pent up in your room for hours playing video games or watching Netflix, but you can't bear paying attention during small groups or during the preaching of God's word, what does that say about your love? Is that love that bears all things? When you can bear spending the money you've carefully saved up on that awesome um, video game that you wanted or that new dress or that sleek new phone, but can't bear buying your sibling a simple birthday present, what does that say about your love? The example that Paul is setting for us is one of unwavering commitment. Christian love does not back down in the face of sacrifice and when circumstances get tough. Christian love does not shrink away in the face of relational difficulty. It doesn't complain when people are difficult. It doesn't give up or flee when the weight of relationships grows. And in doing, in bearing all things and enduring all things, our commitment first is to our Savior. And that commitment that we have, to, that commitment that we have to Jesus allows us to be committed to others. Jesus, in his perfect love, if we look at the cross, endured torture for our redemption. And he made it very clear that the people who followed after him would face the same fate, Matthew 16, Verses 24, um, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
that Jesus also promised um, that we would be able to endure those things because of his abiding presence. And better yet, the comfort that God gives us in affliction is the same comfort that we share with others when they are in any affliction. Paul says it himself in our second example, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 6. He says that God is the father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. We comfort others in their affliction by bearing and enduring with them in the same way that Jesus has borne and endured with us. The third place that stands out from Paul's writing about enduring is 1 Corinthians 6, 7. Paul writes, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? That's kind of a crazy thing to say, that you should rather suffer wrong. And so these three examples give us an idea of what it means to bear and endure um, with other people. Ask yourself, do you give up on people easily? When you see the ugliest sins in others, can you love still and be kind? When someone says something that just hits a nerve, can you hold your tongue or do you lash out? When someone is suffering, can you sit with them in their pain? Can you endure it with them? Can you show them that you are committed? For this point, um, I have two sub points of application. First, love that bears and endures all things centers on sacrifice. It doesn't back down when things are hard. We have to be really honest when we are confronted by a passage like this about our selfish tendencies. To what extent are you willing to take love and care for other people? It, are you willing to take it to the point of sacrificing your comfort, to the point of inconvenience, to the point of being embarrassed, humiliated, to the point of being subject to potentially an unfair relationship? At school, when your friend is getting bullied, ridiculed, verbally abused, or put on blast online for something, are you willing to stand up for them? When a classmate is struggling with classwork, are you willing to help him or her through it? When a sibling is going through a really tough time emotionally or spiritually, are you willing to open scripture with them and come alongside them? One author says this, love has a tenacity in the present, buoyed by its absolute confidence in the future that enables one to live in every kind of circumstance and continually to pour oneself out on behalf of others. Can you do that? Now, I don't mean to tell you that you should be reckless. It doesn't, this passage doesn't mean that you can suffer anything and everything without legitimately bringing harm to yourself. And I don't mean that you should just become an emotional punching bag for others to take their anger and frustration out on. In Philippians 1 verse 9, Paul says, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. The love that Paul is calling us to is not a foolish love. Again, it abounds um, when it has knowledge and discernment, when it thinks carefully, when it's wise. But I think in our passage, Paul speaks hyperbolic, hyperbolically um, to make us see that love does not stop loving when loving gets hard. He's exposing our self-centeredness. He's exposing the selfishness that keeps us from sacrificing comfort for the good of others. You definitely should not let yourself be abused and, and taken advantage of by your friends. But are you willing to bear a metaphorical punch to the face from a friend to show them that you are committed to them? Nowadays, you might hear people say a lot, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have the headspace to deal with you right now. Or they'll appeal to self-care or emotional health to avoid caring for others. But it's not loving. 
It's antithetical to what Paul is describing when he calls us to bear and endure all things. Guys, the reality is that sometimes love hurts. But what is love if it doesn't come at a cost? Imagine the situation. We have Jason and Milo. Jason and Milo are best friends. Um, this year, or one year, Milo decides to go all out for Jason's birthday party. They're in the middle of a pandemic, of course. So Milo gets together a small group of, his, of Jason's closest friends and they all get tested and test negative for COVID. And they plan this surprise party for Jason at a park. They set up different games and activities that they can do safely. Milo bakes this giant cake. He buys candles and drinks and snacks, and he brings all the supplies that they'll need to have a great celebration for Jason. Milo also goes out uh, goes all out on Jason's present. He gives Jason this beautifully wrapped gift, and inside there's Jason's favorite candy, his favorite snacks. There's a leather-bound Bible and a Nintendo Switch that Jason had been raving about recently. And Jason gets this gift and he is super thankful for his, the whole celebration and for the present. And Milo is beaming so brightly, but Jason can also tell that Milo is really tired. And he also notices that Milo's hands are all bandaged up for some reason. When they're cleaning up after the party, Jason asks them about it. And it turns out that Milo had been saving up for months, um, but was just a few dollars short of being able to buy the switch. So he asked his parents for some money in return for cleaning the garage, washing the car, and clearing out the bushes and forest of weeds that had been growing wild in his backyard. In doing so, he had cut up his hands. Then, a few months later, it's Milo's birthday. And Jason shows up to Milo's house with a gift. But when he hands it to him, the gift is a worn out t-shirt with a giant hole in the side. And it is bunched up and tossed into a shopping bag. It's clear that Jason had just dug out an old t-shirt that he wanted to get rid of from his closet and gave it to Milo. It was an afterthought. It came at no cost whatsoever to Jason. A simple card with a genuine and heartfelt note would have made Milo so happy, but Jason didn't even have time or give the time to do that. How do you feel about how Jason treated Milo? Now place yourself in the story. When you fail to sacrifice in your friendships and when you choose your comfort over giving of yourself for your friends, you treat your friends like afterthoughts. Is your love presented in immaculate and thoughtful gifts or are you giving people your old t-shirts? Is your love willing to get its hands dirty is, are you willing to sacrifice to expend energy and time and headspace for others? God's love, too, is most clearly shown to us through sacrifice. And if we are going to emulate his example, then we should be ready to joyfully give of ourselves for the sake of our friends. And though the burden may be great, if we are truly living out love, then it surely will not feel great. At the end of these love always statements, you might feel anxious. If we put aside laziness and selfishness and self-centered unwillingness to do these things, we might ask genuinely, how can I bear all of these things? How can I never stop having faith? How can I never stop hoping in God? How can I endure all these things? It feels like an impossible task. It sounds tiring, emotionally draining, and unsustainable. But when we feel this way, we cannot forget where love comes from. And that brings us to our second sub point. We can bear all things and endure all things because of Jesus. 
let me ask you, who was it that put up with all things for you? Who is it that believes all things for you? Who is it that hopes all things for you? Who was it that endured all things for you? Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 23 through 26 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation for, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. God showed divine patience, bearing with you by having Jesus died for, die for your sins. And not only in his death, but in his life too. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, on, uh, experienced every kind of temptation. We see that so clearly in the Bible, but he never succumbed to sin. Surely that means enduring the temptation to give up on his friends the disciples, when they quarreled over who would sit at his right hand in heaven, when they boasted about themselves, when they misunderstood him, when they didn't trust him, when they doubted him, and when they abandoned him. Jesus, the night before he went to the cross to bear our sins, was so troubled and sorrowful because of the burden that he had been assigned to carry. And he fell down before his father in prayer, begging him for help to be submissive and obedient to his will. But all the while, the very people he was about to die for were sleeping although he had asked them to stay awake and share this moment of sorrow with him. Jesus knows the trouble of friendship. He knows the difficulty of love. He knows its cost and its sacrifice. He bears proof of it in, his, in the scars in his hands. And yet he did it for you. And it was his plan from the beginning before the establishment of time and the heavens and the earth. It was his plan to die for you. You have the perfect example by which you live out these applications of love. And better yet, now as, the, as an ambassador for Christ, as a Christian, as you bear his name, in your call to bear all things and believe all things and hope all things and endure all things, it is not you who accomplishes these. It's Jesus who lives in you. Your love can never run dry because it's not your love at all. The, God, the love of God in Christ imparted to you through the Holy Spirit cannot run dry. It cannot. And so when you get on your knees before the Lord and cry out for his help in your relational difficulties, and when you douse yourself in the truths of scripture, and when you hear him speak to you through his breathed out word, you will have fuel to never stop loving. Love never stops bearing with others. Love never stops having faith in God. Love never stops having hope in God. Love never stops enduring for others. If there is truly nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, then we can truly be enabled by the Spirit to imitate God's love in the same way that Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things for us in his life, death, and resurrection. We can do the same for others. I want to um, close us off by talking about one specific way that we can imitate Christ's love, and that's in friendship. So for our purposes today, um, in point three, we're gonna define Christian friendship as bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, and enduring all things for one another. Um, and this is specifically for us who are together as family in Christ Jesus. And like we talked about a few weeks ago at Coin and Neonite, if you were there, um, Christian friendships aren't just about having fun, right? They're also, and maybe more importantly, 
um, about being intimately involved in each other's lives. It's about knowing each other's hearts, carrying each other's burdens, um, each other's sufferings and sins, and praying for one another and pointing each other to Jesus. And I think for a lot of, um, or a lot of people might think that for people your age, you're not old enough to have mature relationships, but I was a high schooler once. And I remember the content of a lot of the conversations that I had with people my age. They were not childish conversations, talking about things like the meaning of life and drugs and sexuality and alcohol and religion and loneliness, all of these really big things that I know you guys are thinking about and talking about. But the problem was, I didn't know how to think rightly about those things. And I didn't have people around me who were Christians who wanted to talk about them too. And so we need to talk about this because if your strongest friendships are not in the church, then they're going to be in the world. And don't get me wrong, having non-Christian friends is awesome and really necessary, of course. But those people are not going to know how to care for you in the ways that you truly need caring. They're not going to be able to bear, believe, and hope, and endure all things for you because you don't share the same foundation in Christ. The help that they give you might seem kind, but it could end up more harmful than helpful. So we need to come together about these and talk about these things and have relationships that are willing to talk about these things. And ultimately, remember the example for bearing, believing, and hoping and enduring um, is set for us in Jesus. And he calls us to do the same for others. John 15 says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And thus, we should be really excited about having deep friendships because Friendships are this great way that God himself gives us the help that we ask for in prayer. If Christians are loving each other as Jesus has loved them, then they are serving as the means by which love is delivered directly from God. Jesus wants you to use your friendships to give his love to others. And that's why you are needed for friendships. Guys, you're going to have friends who struggle with same-sex attraction, who experience isolation and loneliness, who feel self-hate because of their bodies or their personality. You're going to have friends who fall to sexual sin, who become depressed, who enter into idolatrous romantic relationships, who experience death in their family, who suffer abuse, who face life-threatening illness or injury, who face doubt and fear of the future, who feel distant from God, maybe even people who turn away from the Lord. But how can you bear, believe, hope, and endure all these things with your friends in love without being in their lives, without knowing the content of their hearts, without knowing their struggles and sufferings, without making yourself a trustworthy, committed friend? How can you help without intervening, without stepping in, without coming alongside them and caring for them? In the same way that you'd never let someone you know jump off a cliff as you stand at the edge, friends don't let friends feel isolated and cut off. Friends don't let friends worship themselves over God. Friends don't let friends look at pornography. Friends don't let their friends destroy their own souls by turning a blind eye to sin. So I have a few recommendations for steps that you guys can take to build friendships. Deeply intimate and um, committed and um, honest and open, authentic and Christ-centered friendships. Um, the first one is read the Bible together with your friends. And the second is pray for and with your friends. When it comes to caring for others, you don't need to rely on your own strength. You don't need to rely on your own wisdom. I know all the things that I mentioned were really daunting and scary, but the Lord has supplied everything that we need for lives of godliness and faithfulness to him in his word. 
So um, if it's not your own love caring for your friends, um, but God's love, like we talked about, then take it to God. Take it to the Bible. Read together. Pray. You don't have to rely on yourself. The third um, step is evaluate the state of your friendship and your heart in your friendships. And so I, I listed all of these questions that you can ask yourself to evaluate your heart. First, do I have um, intimacy in my friendships? Are your friends that you have simply people who you have fun with? Or do you also try and take care of their souls? Have you told your closest friends that they can rely on you for anything? Can you be trustworthy in that way? Do they know that because there is no condemnation before God, that they can share anything and everything with you without fear of condemnation? Second is, do I take initiative in my friendships? Anyone can be ready to be checked in on and taken care of, but do you proactively show your care by initiating? One of the most important ways of showing care to someone else is by reaching out first. And one of the most powerful ways of indicating that you can be trusted to carry a burden is by making your own heart known first. Some practical things that you can do are reach out first, call, text, email, write a letter. Keep that chain of communication. You can ask for prayer requests. You can um, follow up on their prayer requests and actually pray for them. You can also open up your heart and ask them to pray for you about something specific that you're going through. You can share what's going on in your own life, in your own heart. Our next question is, do I sacrifice in my relationship, in my friendships? Remember that you emulate Jesus in your friendships. And um, as, we've, as, we've, as we've seen, Jesus has demonstrated true sacrifice for us by taking our sins on the cross. How can you emulate that example in the way that you give of yourself? What does that look like? Um, I just wanna share a few examples um, from my own life. Uh, for example, the first time that I preached, I was really, really stressed out and I didn't think that I could finish in time. And so to be able to, to finish it, I had to stay up all night writing to pull it off. Um, but one of my older friends invited me over to his house and he sat down with me all night, keeping me company and keeping me awake and talking with me about different ideas until I had finished. And then he went to work after staying up all night with me. That is still one of the most vivid memories I have of a brother burying all things for me in love. I can remember another time with, with a, a different friend that maybe I was up at like three or four in the morning and I, I was just feeling so sorrowful over my sin and so restless. So I called this friend just to leave a message saying that I was feeling really burdened and he ended up picking up and um, like this is at like four in the morning or something. And for a whole two hours, we, he just listened to me lament and cry and pour out my heart. And um, at the end, he spoke really kind and gentle words of encouragement to me. Um, but most importantly, he took me to scripture and we prayed through scripture together. Other random examples that I can think of are um, friends bringing me meals when they know that I'm having really busy weeks because they know that I'm, I'm, I have a bad habit of forgetting to eat when I'm working. Um, uh, friends calling me to, on the phone to pray for me every week, friends paying for books and materials that I need for school or sending me care packages. Like, what are the big and small sacrifices that you can bear for others, for their encouragement, for their building up? The next question that we have is, do I appreciate my friends for who they are? or just for what they can give me. Remember that God didn't save you because he gained much by doing so. It's not because of your inherent worth, um, but, and it's not because you can do stuff for him, but because he chose you, because he loves you. So shouldn't we do the same? Um, I encourage you to choose to commit your, to your friends, not because they can do things for you, but because God loves them and because you love them. Next, do I want close friends? 
Can I ask you, are, who truly knows you, like knows everything about you? And are you satisfied with that answer? Of, of course, like finding people to trust is not easy, but, and like you shouldn't just go like throwing your heart at people, but is your lack of friends because you refuse to open up because you're afraid to open up or maybe because you like being unknown or like hiding or you like not being, or you like not having people know um, and letting that, and you like letting that allow you to indulge in things that you know the Lord doesn't approve of. Next, do I have godly expectations for friendships? Are your friends just therapeutic sidekicks? Are they just your cronies who you keep around so you can rant to them and, and have them take your side so you can feel good about yourself? Or do you expect friends to call you out in love, that they'll speak truth even bluntly when necessary? Do you expect your friends, um, do you expect that your friends will always seek out your highest good in Christ? Remember that you are very needy and that you need close, intimate friendships. Um, finally, the last question is, do I turn to God for friendship? Do I truly know God's friendship? If our bearing and enduring with others hangs off of believing and hoping in God, as we saw in our outline, then we need to be prepared to cling to God when friendships are good and when friendships are bad. And on the flip side, if we have trouble bearing and believing and hoping and enduring all things with our Christian friends, then there is probably something wrong with the way that we have received love from God. If we aren't loving others well, something has gone wrong in how we, how we have apprehended God's love for us. Consider that. Okay, I have... Um, one last uh, uh, like step that you can take, and it's, um, it's to learn how to care for your friends when they struggle with specific things. And um, so my recommendation is to read up. Um, or better yet, if you haven't done so yet, you can sign up for our Gospel Center Counselor Training. Um, so these are all just small examples that you guys can do to take steps to have to building more intimate relationships and friendships. To close, I want to remind you that in friendships, if all of us are giving love to one another, then we will also be receiving love from others. Not only are you needed, but you are also needy. And maybe that's where more of you are at right now. Maybe you struggle with deep sins that you feel so ashamed about, things that you would never tell anyone things that you never mention when people ask how you're doing and how they can pray for you, the things that you think your parents would kill you for, the things that you, you think you'd be made fun of for, the thoughts that scar you, the things you keep looking at though you know you shouldn't. If I could speak to you who feel heavy with any of these kinds of burdens, if your sin ever tells you to stay quiet, that nobody needs to know, please do not stay silent. Please reach out. Please get help. The darkness of sin is too dark to face alone. And you were not made to face it alone. I've been there before. I've believed the lie that I have to hide my sin, that I'm the only one who struggles with these kinds of things so no one would understand. I've believed the lie that God hates me because of who I am or because of what I've done. And I know the loneliness and the despair and the suffering that comes with hiding sin. I know that pressure in your chest when you just want help but are so tormented and muzzled by your sin without respite. And I know the crying out at night when you feel defeated. But I know the freedom too. I know that feeling of relief when your chains of sin fall off. 
I know what it's like to utter the scariest things that you swore you'd never tell anyone and be able to take a deep, full breath as the elephant lifts its foot off of your chest. I know what, it's, what it feels like to hear and bask in the truths of gospel forgiveness imparted by a friend. I know what it feels like to hear the words of life spoken to me by a friend who listens and understands and loves me as Christ has. And I know what it feels like to weave those tears of joy. Guys, the Christian who is cut off from friendship cannot survive. And you need those really close brothers or sisters that you can trust your life with to carry your burdens, to walk alongside you, to keep you accountable and to point you to the cross. And that, that is where faith flourishes. So please open up to us, to your small group leader, to your close friends. Please remember that you can bring anything to Christians without fear of judgment or rejection because all of our fear and all of our shame, all of our sin and all of our guilt has been placed upon Jesus. He has dealt with it. In Jesus, we are family and we are here to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things and endure all things for you. Friends, let's be a people marked by this kind of love. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for your word, which shows us the glories of Christ and his love. And we need help because in our sin we are we are committed to ourselves. We are committed to selfishness. We are committed to hiding our sin. We are committed to thinking that we can get through life on our own. But we can't, Father. And you have given us the example of Christ to show us what it looks like to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, and endure all things. And you give us friends, you give us family to bear one another's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. You have given us such abundant mercies in friendship. Father, I ask that you would help us not squander the gift that you have given us. May we seek intentional ways to build up our friends, to know their hearts deeply to know their sufferings and their sins, to preach the gospel to them, to love them in, in the way that you love them, in the way that you have loved us in sacrificing your own life for our redemption. Help us, Father, we need help. I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.